side. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. And nations is important for us because we believe that's what God has called us to. God has called us to honor him by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, social responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. So in this moment, we are not just doing it because some, it's something we must do. It's doing, we're doing it because that's something that we believe God has called us to be. And I hope from what you hear this, heard this morning is that Every one of us has a part to play. Every one of us are called, not just by association with church, to have an influence in the nations, but to actually participate in what God is doing in the nations. And that's what reaches there. All of us can pray. All of us can give. And all of us can go. Please, afterwards, go to the info table. Find out how you can participate in one of these three areas. Find the newsletter that you can pray with us monthly. Uh, maybe you want to give financially, or maybe you were inspired by the testimonies this morning. And God is placing it in your heart to go on a mission. It will change your life. It will change the way you view God, and it will change the way that you believe God has called you to live. We really want to encourage you to join us afterwards there at the info table or at the reach table. This morning looks a little bit different. I know most of us are creatures of habit, and you've been uh, thinking for the last 15 minutes, what's happening this morning? Um, it's going to be a little bit different than usual. I'm just going to say that. You can calm your nerves. Uh, maybe next Sunday we'll do it similar than we'll do it every Sunday. I'm not going to definitely say it that way, but this morning it looks a little bit different. See, we're busy with a sermon series called Undignified. Last week, we paused the series, Pastor Roger Pierce was here with us, but we continue today with this series, Undignified, and the heart behind this series is we want to discover what does a life of worship, what does a lifestyle of worship look like in response to God? If God is holy and worthy and He deserves all our worship, how does it look like? What does it require of us? How does it look like when we gather as a church very practically? But also, how does it flow into our everyday lifestyle? And the way we are studying this undignified way of worshiping God is by looking at the life of David, of King David, because he, he demonstrates something of, of a lifestyle of undignified worship. We see in the Psalms different ways that he expressed himself in worship to God, but more importantly, the way he lived modeled something in certain regards to a lifestyle of worship. And today we're going to continue to look at a specific encounter or a specific moment in David's lifestyle where he modeled something about worshiping God. But before we do that, it's a cold morning and we're doing things a little bit different. So I want us to do an activation exercise if that's okay. And I know it's going to be weird for some of you. I apologize in advance. But some of the things that we're doing in the sermon series, we look at some of the Hebrew words that was different expressions of worship. One of those words is yada. And yada simply means to praise God with extended hands. Now, if you think about it, that is probably the most natural thing that we do when we celebrate. 
Please allow me to dwell a little bit on Friday night. Because it doesn't happen often. That it's South Africa and go. Sure. We gave them box lie. I mean, the Kiwis are still feeling it. We're passionate about nations. But man, we love it when we beat New Zealand. What did you do if you watched the Springbok game when the South Africans just crashed over that try line every time? There was a shout of joy. We had to calm down, remind ourselves some of our children are sleeping. And even if you do it in silence, your hands just go up. You have this passionate air punches. Come on. You know that at the end, when our captain came up and they spoke to Sia, man, and Twickenham was just cheering. Oh, I had goosebumps. I was there. <laughs> Come on, Sia. It's what we do when you celebrate. What's the most natural thing that you do if you're faced with danger? Raise your hands. I'm unarmed. I'm defenseless. I surrender. There's a worship with an extension of hands. That's a praise and celebration, but it's also an act of surrendering. So this morning, would you mind, just indulge me. Would you just stretch out your hands? Turn to the best person next to you. And then you go, not da, yada. Okay, now. Now, now that we're activated and excited, we could go to the Word of God. We're going to read together from 1 Samuel 24. If you have your Bible with you, I would love you to turn there. We're going to read from verse 1 to 6. Uh, before we do this, we're going to quickly look at three other verses in 1 Samuel 15. So if you have a Bible, you can go to both chapters. In 1 Samuel 15, we find context or important background for the story that we're going to read in 1 Samuel 24. So before we do this, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are ever constant, that you are faithful, and that we can trust you. And more importantly, Lord, that we are able to worship you, to know you. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, come and direct our hearts and direct our minds and lead us into a place where we, we honor you through our lives, not just in our words. I pray that through your spirit that you would come and guide us in your truth this morning. Would you make your word alive and active, Lord? And there we need it, would you bring conviction to our hearts? But also may you bring restoration and healing. Lord, our heart's desire is to love you well. And therefore, Lord, we pray for your spirit to come and change us in such a way that we'll live lives that loves you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's read together. Um, 
I'm going to do 1 Samuel 15. Remember, three quick verses. This is about Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. And here um, we see something happening. Samuel, the prophet of Israel, comes to Saul, and God has had enough with Saul. We read together verse um, 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then verse 26. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. This is a harsh word. Can you imagine being chosen as the king of Israel? Up until then, Israel didn't have a king, and the people said, we want a king. And then God went, of all the people, Saul, anointed as king of Israel. But Saul became prideful. As a king, as a ruler, he became prideful. He started doing what was right in his own eyes. He stopped relying on God, and eventually he started disobeying God. He became self-reliant, prideful, and everything was about him. And God says, I've had enough. I don't care for your sacrifices, Saul, because I demand obedience. I've had enough. Meanwhile, God tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king of Israel. And there Jesse finds a young man called David. David, we don't know exactly what was his age when this took place, but he was around about, uh, he was a teenager. We had to guess about the age of 15. Samuel anoints him as the future king of Israel. And the Spirit of God powerfully comes on David. And David then goes on, and he sort of lives this conquering life. You know the story of David. If you grew up in church, this is one of the Bible stories you'll hear every year. It's when David defeated Goliath. And then we'll tell, each one of us need to defeat the Goliaths in our lives, and we'll be like David. But David, when everybody feared Goliath, David stood up and he said, my God will help me and defeats the life in front of the whole army of Israel and fame about David and his power and his courage and the way that he served God started to spread through Israel. They were singing songs about Saul and David. David started serving um, Saul in different capacities and eventually in one stage, as he grew in fame and position and power, he eventually married one of Saul's daughters. We look at the life of David and you can think, well, he's on track to become that what God has already said him he's going to be, king of Israel. But Saul becomes jealous of David. Looks at David and there's something in his soul that is bitter. Remember, everything's about him, and now there's this other guy that's being raised up, and he becomes 
angry. And he actively tries to kill David. One stage he, he, he throws spears at David. The Bible tells us he was trying to pin David against the wall with his spear. If you think you have family issues, if you think you struggle to get along with your mother or father-in-law, David's father-in-law is trying to kill him. And Saul is actively pursuing David with full intent to kill him. And David flees. And this is where 1 Samuel 24 is going to take place. Verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able men. Now, 3,000 men, this tells you Saul's not messing around. He wants David dead. 3,000 men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the cracks of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, he went in to use the cave as a bathroom. That's what's happening. Okay. So you can imagine, he's completely defenseless in this moment. David and his men were back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David's faced with the decision. Here's the man who wants to kill him. Here's the man who's pursuing him. Here's the reason why he's hiding in a cave right in front of him. And he is completely defenseless, and David needs to decide, am I going to kill Saul? What could happen? What could David gain from killing Saul in this moment? Think about it. Place yourself in David's shoes. What could David gain by killing Saul? I mean, it looks as if God is delivering Saul into the hands of David. Well, for one thing, David can immediately experience freedom. Or at least he might think he might experience freedom. He might be able to go out of the cave. Wouldn't have to hide and flee anymore. Could maybe do whatever he wants to do. There can be a possibility of freedom in killing Saul. He might even become king of Israel in killing Saul. Killing Saul in this moment might give him power and significance and authority. He might become king. They might make him king if Saul's not there. Imagine the fame that he would have. As David, the one who removed this wicked king of Israel. He might think that he will receive rest and peace if he were to kill Saul. 
I mean, if he, if he kills Saul, that will fix his problems. And he might find rest and peace. There might even be an idea that if he kills Saul, there will be some form of joy in his life. I mean, at least that problem is removed. Wouldn't have to live with that stress and that challenge the whole time. Might even find joy in, king, in killing Saul. What did you have done? We continue to read. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was cons- conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. In spite of what Saul is doing, David says he's still the anointed of the Lord. In this moment, there's there's three voices. There are three voices that's influencing or what could influence David's decision. Firstly, it's the voices of the men around him saying, this is God's work. This is the opportunity that you've been waiting for. Remember what God told you. What's interesting, this prophecy or this word that they're referring to, nowhere in the Bible do we see that God said to Saul, I'm to David, that he's going to deliver his enemy into his hands. Who of you would agree with me when facing life-altering decisions, you want people around you that will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. When facing life-altering decisions, you want people around you that points you back to the true word and nature of God. But there's voices in the cave. There's voices around him. Do it. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for us. Surely looking at Saul, he's reminded of the voice of his enemy. He's reminded of Saul's accusations and what Saul has declared he will do with David, his murderous words towards David. There's a voice of the men around him. There's a voice of the enemy inside the cave. And then there's the voice of God. When David cut away that robe, a sign that he's not associating with Saul. When he cut away that robe, something inside his heart happened. A conscious, stricken conviction. And God warned him, what you're about to do is wrong. Don't do it. And to David's credit, he listens. Don't do it, David. What you're about to do is wrong. See, if David chose to kill Saul, that would be his first step in becoming the new Saul. Taking matters into his own hands. Doing what is right in his own eyes. 
not relying on God for his salvation and his future. Killing soul would be the first step in becoming soul. Everything would be about him and he would disobey God and stop to rely on God. But David chose to obey the voice of God. He chooses to surrender the opportunity to kill Saul. He leaves it. David chooses to surrender his own life and his own future to God. Because he believes that Saul's the anointed of God. And who am I to rebel against that? chooses to trust God, to surrender to God's will. See, every day we are faced with similar voices. And these voices are influencing the decisions we make daily. Every day there's the voices of the world around us. There's the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. See, the voice around, the voice of the world around us tells us what will make us really happy. If you had this, if you looked that way, if you did that, you would be really happy. The voices of the world around us tells us what does true freedom look like? The ability to be whoever you want to be. To live however you want to live. You are the master of your own world. That is freedom. You can choose whatever you want to be. And live in whatever way you see fit. The voice of the world around us tries to tell us what is freedom. Tries to tell us what is power and significance and purpose. If you were in this position, if you had that amount of money, that's power. The voices of the world gives us a false sense of what will give us rest and peace. The voices of the world tells us, do everything that you can now so that someday, somewhere, you'll be able to rest and have peace. There's voices around us, voices of the world. And therefore, we give our lives into performance. We surrender to the things of the world, and we try to do more and be more, to have more. Because maybe these voices are true. But then we also face the voice of the enemy. Now, we'd be ignorant if we think the enemy is not out to speak into our lives. See, the voice of the enemy is one of accusation. You're a failure. Nothing you do is right. He accuses the whole time. The voice of the enemy is a voice of fear and anxiety. What will happen if you don't have this? What will happen if you don't do this? 
The voice of the enemy is a voice that brings doubt over the character and nature of God. Does God really care? Did God really say? Will God really be there? That promises of God, is it true for everyone? Are you really a child of God? Is it really pertaining to you? The voice of the enemy speaks lies over ourselves. We have the voice of the world around us and the voice of the enemy. But then there's also the voice of God. What a great privilege that in the midst of the voice of this of the world and the voice of the enemy, we are able to hear the voice of God. See, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. It's different than the accusation of the devil. The accusation brings condemnation. The conviction leads us to repentance. Accusation tells you that's what you are. Conviction tells you what you're doing is wrong. But the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It's the voice of God. Don't do that. Beware. The voice of God, the Holy Spirit, leads us back to God's truth. Leads us back to the Word of God. Lines our lives. When the world says, this must be God, the Holy Spirit says, is it part of His Word? Does it align with His Word? Is it true? The Holy Spirit reveals to us the will of God. And you might sit here this morning and you might wonder, but, but how do I hear the voice of God? It's great to hear, I hear the voice of God, but how do we hear the voice of God? You know. And I know there's courses on hearing the voice of God and trainings that you can do and those things are great. But if we just for a moment pause, pause and be honest, you know when God is speaking to you. You know when you're doing something wrong. You know when you're out of line because there's this conscious, striking conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of us that says, don't do it. Don't do it. Unfortunately, we get so distracted and busy with the voices of the world and the voices of the enemy that we don't even hear the voice of God. We give so much attention to the voices of the world around us and so much attention to the voice of the enemy that we can't hear the voice of God warning, leading, and guiding us because we're too focused on these voices. And unfortunately, when we're not listening to the voice of God, we become sold. when we're not listening to the conviction, the truth, and the guidance of the voice of God, when we start to listen to the voices of the world, we start to listen to the voices of the enemy, we become sold. Where everything is about us. Where you start to rely 
on your own strength, your own wisdom, when you start to do what's right in your eyes, when you start to do that what is most beneficial for yourself, not necessarily the right thing, but the thing that will benefit you the most. You become self-reliant and prideful, just like Saul. So we need to ask ourselves, what voice is defining the decisions you make daily? What voice is defining your decisions? See, David didn't try and save his own life. He could in that moment. He could just kill Saul, and in that moment, it might look as if he saved himself. But David doesn't do it. He doesn't try to save his life. He chose to obey God and surrender his life, surrender his future to the will of God. And as he did that, God saved him. God led him out of that cave. God eventually saved him from becoming Saul. God gave him freedom. God gave him power and authority. And God gave him peace and rest. And God gave him joy. God saved him as he surrendered to him. Every day we are faced with a decision. And the voice that you will listen to will determine the life that you live. Every day. The voice that you listen to will determine how you live. Jesus said to his disciples, this is in Luke 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. We might put it differently in modern day. Whoever wants to gain this world will lose it. Whoever wants to make a name for himself will lose it. Whoever wants to rely on himself will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. David was willing to lose his life for God. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? One of the other gospels said, loses their soul. See, we have a decision to make daily. Will you follow Jesus? Will you die to yourself? That's what it means to take up your cross. Would you die to yourself? And how might we die to ourselves? It's simple. You surrender. You give over to Jesus. And you obey him. That's how you die. That's how you die to the pride inside of your heart. You surrender. 
that thing that you're holding on, that thing that you think will give you joy, will give you freedom, will give you peace, you surrender it to God. You say, God, how do I follow you? How do I obey you? This is how we follow Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, He saves us from becoming soul. He saves us. He changes our hearts. He saves us against the pride of our hearts. He saves us against fear and anxiety. He saves us from the things that's stealing our, all our joy and our peace. And He gives us joy. And He gives us peace as we follow Him. He gives our life significance and purpose. Not the things that we do. He shows us what's real freedom. Not defining for yourself what's right and wrong. Not defining for yourself who you are. But to walk in that what is already right. To walk in that what God has already defined. See, if we are willing to submit to Him, He leads us. He leads us out of the darkness of the cave that you might find yourself in. Ultimately, this is how we are called to worship. To daily choose to surrender to God and to follow Him. See, a life of worship is a surrendered life. You cannot worship God if you're not surrendered to Him. When we surrender to God, we worship Him. Why? Because it's not enough just to know about the holiness of God. We have to surrender our lives and say, you deserve more. If we believe you're holy, you deserve so much more. It's not enough to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have to surrender to his lordship in our life. It's not enough to sing worship songs on Sunday. Our hearts need to bow down in obedience to Him. A life of worship is a surrendered life. And a surrendered heart is a worshiping heart. G.K. Chesterton said, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing, we worship anything. Including yourself. Like soul, if we do not choose to worship God in obedience, surrendering to His will, we will worship anything and everything, including ourselves. So to get back to our yada moment to what are you raising your hands of praise in this world and to what are you raising your arms in surrender to this world because all of us does that What are you raising your arms to? In praise. And what are you raising your arms to in surrendering? 
Because all of us are worshiping something. All of us are surrendering to something. Either we're surrendering to the things of the world, or we're surrendering to the accusations of the enemy, or we're surrendering to our own selves. What are you praising? And ultimately, what voices are defining your worship? Are there areas in your life that's not surrendered to God? Areas where you're not following, handing over and obeying Jesus. So that's the areas where you're worshiping something else. And if we look at a lifestyle of worship, it's with the intent, intent to get to a place where we say, God, everything is about you, it's because of you, and it's for you. Not just the songs that I sing, but the obedience of my heart. Lord, would you save us from becoming like Saul? Let's close our eyes. And I want us for a moment just to think what voices are defining your worship. Are there areas of your life where you're not walking in obedience, that's not surrendered to God? In this moment, is God bringing a conviction, a conscious striking to your heart? If God is showing you something, would you go, God, I surrender this to you. Just hand it over. it really practical this morning. I want to pray for everyone that feels that there's an area in my life that's in darkness, an area that feels like a cave, an area where I'm self-reliant, where I'm disobedient, where I'm not handing over, an area where it's unsurrendered. If that's you, don't you want to practically respond to God this morning? And would you, would you stand with your hands raised? We're going to keep our eyes closed. But if you know God is saying this, this area is where you're not worshiping, Areas that you haven't surrendered. If you're willing, as a practical expression this morning, to lift your hands and say, God, I surrender. Lord, this morning with hands raised, we acknowledge, Lord, that we need you. We acknowledge, Lord, that we don't want to rely on ourselves. We don't want to live according to what's good in our own eyes and our own strength, Lord. We don't want to try and keep, take hold of our lives and try and save ourselves. We don't want to define truth for ourselves, Lord. We don't want to be in control, Lord. We want to hand over and we want to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, with our hands raised, we're surrendering, Lord. Practically, we're demonstrating, Lord. We're giving over. And Lord, I pray now that you would send your spirit, that you would fill us, Lord. 
that area where we're handing over, Lord, I pray that you would bring breakthrough in that area, that you would bring a release in that area, Lord, that you would bring healing and save us. And Lord, as we do this, Lord, I pray that you would do something new, restore in us a heart of worship, Lord, that honors you, not just in words, but in the way that we live. Because it's about you, it's not about us. And Lord, I pray, may you help us as a church to love you well, to worship you well in the way that we live. May you open our ears to hear your voice. And may you give us the courage and boldness to obey your guidance. We pray this in your wonderful name. Stand, let's worship you. Set my heart, my will, my soul. Jesus, set my hopes, my dreams, my world. With joy I lay it down. With joy I cast my crown. Jesus, have it all. To you I bring my praise, my lips. Sacrifice as one reborn. Your life is now my own. Your will is what I want. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. To you belongs the glory, praise of all the Jesus have it all, Jesus have it all, blessing and all honor, majesty and all, Jesus have it all. Jesus have your church, your love, your bride, the joy for which you freely gave. Your life, radiant and white, washed and purified, Jesus have a soul. Jesus have your worth, your due, your sum, the praise of every nation, tribe, and song, it all that has been Glorify your name, Jesus have his all. Jesus have it all, Jesus have it all. To you belongs the glory, praise of all the world. Jesus have it all, Jesus have it all. Jesus have it all, 
Jesus have it all to you belongs the glory praise of all the world Jesus have it all Jesus have it all the blessing and all honor majesty and all Jesus have it all Jesus have it Thank you. 